All right, hey guys, welcome to Tier One Athlete. I am host Ray Casillas, and today I have Professor Robert Drysdale on the on the podcast. Super excited to have him on. Um, you know, I consider a legend of the sport, man. Uh, he's my professor, uh, so obviously I'm going to be very biased. But what I will tell you, man, is when it comes to the history of jujitsu, I, I I can tell you I don't think there's anyone out in this country, and maybe even Brazil that understands the history of Brazilian jiu-jitsu more than Robert does. I mean, he dedicated and what, how many years did you do that real quick, Rob? Oh, it's been going on five years now, almost five yeah. years. And just one thing really quick, yeah. there there are people that know a lot more than I do about this story. Okay. I just happened to be in a place where I was able to make it sort of give it some, some, some sunlight. You know, it was, it was a lot of these guys were like buried in academic articles and, and, you know, digging through old newspaper articles, both in Portuguese and Japanese for years. So to be fair, there are people that have been studying this a lot longer than I have, and they know a lot more than I do. Awesome. Well, yeah, like we'll jump right on in here. Rob, um, you know, you started your career out in Brazil. Obviously, you're, you're Brazilian and American. Can you just give us like a real quick breakdown of, you know, when you started, how that all that process came to to you owning your gym today? Uh, from, okay. So I started in Brazil end of 97. Um, I actually started in a jujitsu school. There's like only like one jujitsu school in all of Brazil. It's like the Japanese style. It's basically yeah. karate with judo. And that happened to be the one I went to cause I didn't know there was a difference. So I trained with them for about six months and then they went out of business. And then, uh, that was like beginning of 98. And that's when I started in what we now call Brazilian jujitsu. They don't call it Brazilian jujitsu in brazil anymore that they call chinese food and they call food chinese food in china right it's just food <laughs> no one's ever called it brazilian jiu-jitsu until it came to the u.s but uh yeah i started in 98 early i i remember march 3rd 98 because it's my sister's birthday so i happen to remember the day i started and um yeah man i never looked back it was amazing i did some competition in brazil didn't do well I started my first competition. I lost first fight, second competition, first fight, third competition, first fight, fourth competition. I lost the first fight. I'm like, man, this is, there's gotta be a way other people are winning. Therefore it's not impossible. <laughs> there clearly is a way to win. You know, so I, it's just clearly something I'm doing wrong because my friends are winning. So what's stopping me from winning? And then my fifth competition, I won two matches and lost in the final. So I'm like, yes, I've cracked the code. It's not impossible. You know, I can't do this. And then um, I just never stopped, man. I became addicted. It was like really like an addiction is how I describe it. You just need more and more and more and hirings every single time. And you'd walk into a gym and you wouldn't stop until you beat every single person on those mats. And then you wanted a bigger tournament and a bigger medal. And you just wanted to keep going up, up, up until your body told you to stop. And now here I am at 40. <laughs> so how was like in, in the late 90s, obviously competition had been around for a lot longer then, but competition in the late 90s in brazil like what was that like we see it you know you see some of the old videos out there of yeah. you know like the the, the skinny puzzle mats yeah. and you know like what was that like back then oh man they said we i've seen tournaments we didn't even have puzzle mats we had like the old japanese tatamis like if you hit them hard with both your hands like you just like dust everywhere it was gross uh yeah you get like aller people with allergies and not survive on those mats but uh yeah, man, it was it was different. It was a lot less less people. It was like it was a different vibe too. Like the culture was very different. It was a very like uh, manly 
alpha driven pit boys they call them like everyone's like shaved head people wanted to get cauliflower ears they didn't dress like like models like they do today you got to look clean cut and if you showed up like that at a tournament you look you, you didn't look the part you know you had to look rough you had to look tough you know and that was sort of the vibe it's just like everyone's staring each other down there'd be a fight every other tournament it was a different feeling man it was just um it was very connected to mma there's no distinction between jujitsu gi and no gi and mma it was all the same thing yeah. like you okay. cannot do one and not do the others like it's all the same thing like we would have like you know if you bought a magazine it had articles on jujitsu and right next to it articles on mma like we, we inhabited the same world and then it got it grew and then it you know kind of it went in different directions but it was a different feel uh some of it was very uh it was the numbers were smaller, like the community was not as big as it is now, but we knew we were going somewhere. There was an overall feeling that we were going somewhere, that this was the beginning of something important that I think that we all had that we don't talked about it, but I think it was in the background and how we felt about it. So here's a, you know, and I remember when I first started jujitsu, it was like, all right, Brazil, it's the Mecca, right? That's where everyone, all the good guys came from, um, you know, but in Brazil, how popular was jiu-jitsu i mean you say there wasn't a lot of people so obviously it wasn't very popular where we think it was everyone trains jiu-jitsu no not at all actually I, no no one had ever heard of jiu-jitsu in brazil prior to hoist gracie that's a myth that's been repeated so often that jiu-jitsu had a big moment in the 1930s where it started like jiu-jitsu slash you know volley tudo started picking up it had its great moment in 1951 with helio versus kimura and presidents watching they have the maracana stadium like it's a big event probably the biggest event in the history of jiu-jitsu today till today we've never had a bigger event um and then from 1951 to the you know until hoist gracie it's sort of like silent there's not a lot going on and and uh jiu-jitsu as we know it today is restricted to the south zone at rio de janeiro and then like little small gyms all over the country mainly manaus some in sao paulo but very few they're not organized they're very you know ostracized from one another they barely communicate hoist gracie comes back and that's when things start picking up you get all these black belts that hadn't put a gi on in 20 years they come back they want five stripes that was very common because it was didn't you can't even blame them it made no financial sense to be in jiu-jitsu no one knew what it was like peggy pano was talking to him the other day because I, I was saying like i grew up in sao paulo or outside of sao paulo i had never heard of jiu-jitsu until hoist gracie and then peggy pano told me rob i grew up in rio de janeiro and I had never heard of jiu-jitsu until Hoist Gracie. And he's from Rio. Just to give an idea of how small this thing was. We're talking like half a dozen gyms in the South Zone. And that right there, if you look at the birth of every team, they all go back to like the same two, three people. So it could, could not have been that big in the 1980s. We're talking like three gyms there. And they just happen to be like that. Those are, that's, the, that's the 1980s. That's not that long ago in terms of lineage. And yeah, uh, yeah so it's, it goes to show how small the sport was and how how uh, I don't think people fully understand what went on in 93 as far as Horion and Hoist and what they did. It was truly remarkable. Like it's something and I call it the second greatest revolution in the history of martial arts. Jigoro Kano was the first one because he invented the concept as we understand it now. Judo invented martial arts as we understand it today. And um, but the, the second great moment is Hoist in 93. And I think it changed martial arts forever. Oh, totally agree. I remember being in the military and they, you know, it was just, it was such a barbaric kind of concept that was coming out, right? NHB, no holds bar, because that's what they called it. Yeah. You know, there were no gloves back then. And it was, it was the perivial for us. I mean, for my, I would say my age group, the perivial blood sport. 
like, all right, this is this is true life blood sport. This is not a move. This is not a movie. This is happening. Different, you know, different martial arts going against each other, not knowing what they were, and then having Hoist wear, coming in wearing pajamas and just destroying everyone. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a. I mean, it's a, it's almost an unbelievable story. You know, Japanese immigrants bring an art to Brazil. Brazilians give it its own twist. It kind of like depart from the judo matrix they create and i won't say create but they they create a niche let's say and so to speak inside the judo matrix and they 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 they, they make it their own in a lot of ways you know and they created their own culture they mixed it up with the surf culture of rio de janeiro which in its term is borrowed from southern california and they mix it up with some acai and you know and <laughs> fist bump and flip-flops and hang loose you know and shakas and whatever and they they bring it to the United States and, and then back to Japan and then they it's a family of like north north northern Brazilians from Scottish descent that played a big role in developing this or like you know removing it from the judo matrix and you know they, they create this new martial art that we now call MMA because it's an art of its own now and they they were fundamental in creating it not only in Brazil but bringing it to the world through the UFC it's a it's a truly incredible story the more you think about it the more you, like, you realize like the stars so many things had to align for this to happen for things to turn out as they did which is you know any event is going to happen I mean, multiple things are going to have to align but there's so many elements of globalism in, in in all of this right there's so it's it's is a this is a story of globalism too if you think about it or globalization should you say and um yeah it's, and it's, this kind of goes yeah. back to your book right like if yeah. anyone's read your book you know, and and you've written this book. It's it it kind of just opens up your eyes, really, about jujitsu. Like you know, yeah. we just generally know it as we go out, we compete, we roll. We you know, there's a lineage that we're supposed to follow, but a lot of people truly don't understand the true history of it. And I think you know, you coming out with this, you know, from and I would say from like a newer standpoint. You know what I mean? Like like you said, you weren't. There's plenty of people with way more understanding of the history than you, you know, than you do. But for you to bring that out and put that on the book, it, you know, anybody that's read your book that I've talked to is just like, all right, man, that was enlightening, you know, and that's good. Yeah. That was sort of the, the idea was to give them a different perspective. It's like what actually happened, like free of politics, you know, like I, I think there's a place for politics in the world and it's not all the time. It's something that people, it's the only language they know how to speak. They cannot yeah. speak any other language than it's black or white. Like you try to get the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth language in there, and they're looking at you like you're crazy. Like, no, it's got to be anti-Gracie or pro. I had like, there's one review there, like on, the, on Amazon, actually upsets me. And actually, there's another one too. Like, it, it's basically the same thing. They're going, Robert failed to prove his thesis that the Graces did nothing about the history of jiu-jitsu, to, uh, for jiu-jitsu in Brazil. I'm like, where did you get that from? Where do people get these ideas that that's what I was like? They, they, because they cannot fathom someone trying to do something that isn't either insulting the Gracie family or putting them on this pedestal of like godlike figures. They cannot understand objective reality and how history should be written. You know, I think even Fabio Grugel did that. Like, he, I made a review on, on his YouTube channel about how I failed on my mission to discredit the Gracie family. I'm like, did you not read the book? Because I thought you were a smart guy. Either you read, either you didn't read it, and you told me you did, right? You lied, or you don't know how to read because there's not a word in there that I mean, the diminishing anyone. And where did you get the idea? That was my thesis anyway, right? Like this, it's it's, it, it's but it's, it's just political, man. They can't they can't you know not see uh, the world free of of their of their politics, which is already there. It's already existing. Yeah. It's not even they don't even walk into something with an open mind. It's just like this is what it is. 
And then they're going around looking for a confirmation by They're just looking for things that confirm what they believe and whatever they don't like, just deny it, neglect it, ignore it. Like I think it's not, it's just very complicated to deal with people like that. That's why I emphasize that in the book so much. I had to repeat it a thousand times, almost to the point where like, I know I've said it, I'm going to say it again. Cause I think yeah. it's the only way I was going to come across as someone that, and I say this with a straight face. I don't, I don't have, I didn't have any politics when I walked into this. I was just really curious to find out yeah. what had happened. Well, you know, I mean, I would, I look at this, like uh, Joe Rogan said this a while back. He doesn't look at reviews. He doesn't look at anything social media just because you're going to have people that love you. You're going to have people that hate you. You're going to have people that try to discredit you, you know, but the truth is, are they doing the work? Um, and so I'm just going to give you that and say, Hey, yeah. man, like, I, I think you've done a good thing. And I think again, those that read it understand that you're not, that that's not the mission, right? The mission was just to open up and go like, Hey, there's more to this than what you've been told. Like there's more history. It's like, we're just forgetting a piece of history doesn't exist. And then, you know, from that aspect, it is what it is, you know? And it's like, if you don't like it, well, it is what it is. Like, it's not that it's not true. You know, you, you actually played a role in all this. And I don't know if you actually got on to read the book, but I, the first uh, time I saw Shockey, which is the book that, you know, played a really big role in expiring this whole thing. I actually saw it at your house. I was at your house visiting for a seminar and I pulled out this volume, this big thick blue volume, Shocky volume one. And I'm like, and I'm going through this. I'm like, I didn't know this existed. I've never heard of this book. This is incredible. So I had the name in the back of my mind. And when I, when I started getting into it, that's the first one I bought on Amazon to start the, the research. It was, you, know, you, you played a role in all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, and now you can't even find, I remember when I bought that book, I bought it on Amazon and it was, yeah. I don't know, maybe 70 bucks. It wasn't like super cheap either, but now you can't, I don't even think you can really find that book. Well, no, it is. You have like new editions. You can find them on Amazon. I think you had a first edition. You bought it when, right when it came out. And it might've yeah. been that that expensive. I think the yeah. price has dropped a lot, but it's a heavy read. And it's not, it's it's meant for historians. Not, it's not, I mean, y anyone could read it. It's not difficult to read, but it doesn't read like a novel. There's no storyline. It's just cataloging facts. And then you have to really learn how to, reading between the lines to get what the book's trying to get across there is a point there there are many points it's just that it's not explicit you have to learn how to read between it's, it's a hard thing to do it's but i think if anyone who's really interested in history jiu-jitsu should dive into those even i mean mine touches scrapes the surface it really does it's not it's blue blue belt level research you know, to be completely frank but if you're completely unacquainted with jiu-jitsu history i think my book is a good go-to place to start perhaps if you really want to get dirty, you know, get your hands dirty, you, you're going to have to dive into some deeper reads. And, and then, and then that's endless. That's an endless well right there. It's still, there's still new stuff coming out every year. So it's just a lot. Yeah. Well, so, you know, and kind of going, you know, I wanted to kind of feed back into like that first couple of UFCs and how you talked about how, you know, it, it did change, you know, the, the, the view of martial arts. Um, and as you saw that happening in, in America, how did you see the shift change in Brazil, right? Like now the Gracies are out in America doing this. Did you, like you said, you, you started to see more people coming out of the woodwork, but it wasn't like there was a school on every block. I remember you tell me stories of having to travel a lot to get training yeah. in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was the difference between uh, the growth of jiu-jitsu in Brazil and the United States. That's happened at the same time, the mid to late 90s. That's when the boom begins, right? That's the beginning of the, the, the explosion. The difference is Brazil had hundreds of black belts that had been laying low, dormant, like they were not teaching. I mean, the gym, the first one I went into in early 98, 
they had just opened. They had been open for a year or so, two years maybe. Like they they were, I mean, the guy had been, he's a fifth degree black belt and he hadn't taught in over a decade because no one wanted to learn. No one cared about it. And then all of a sudden, I think in 97, 96, he goes like, well, wait a second. There's people are seeking me out here. So he opens a little program and that's the one I joined in 98. But it was, the difference is Brazil had all these black belts. Whereas in the US, the interest was the same. It's the same level of interest. The difference is you had guys like you who had to go buy a VHS tape and go into the garage with your buddy and figure things out on your own because the closest black belt was a thousand miles away, right? Like if, if, if you wanted to tr- train with a black belt, even a purple belt those days, like late 90s, you kidding me, you had to drive. There were no purple belts around. There was like what, three, four black belts in the whole country. So yeah, I was going to say, yeah. we had Jacare in Atlanta and Carlson Gracie and Carlson Gracie Jr. in Chicago. That was the yeah. closest black belts we had. Yeah. And, and that's, and and that was a difference. Like you Americans had to figure things out on their own. If you get anyone from my older than, you know, than me in jujitsu, anyone who started in the mid nineties in the uh, American black belt, that's a fifth degree black belt or up, let's say, if you ask them, so what was training like in the mid nineties, they'll tell you, yeah, we were training in a garage. We had to rent out like some karate gym space, or we had to go to a judo gym or wrestling mats and they were improvising. They were improvising. There were like two competitions. I was in Vegas and there were like two competitions a year in California. There's the Joe Marrera Invitational and the Copa Pacifica organized by Claire Bellisiano. I, I remember those. That was it. There's nothing else <laughs> to a year, you know. And then you contrast that with now with like hundreds of tournaments a year. And that's the difference. Like Brazil was going through the same thing, but the difference is they had a lot more instructors that all of a sudden like, whoa, oh, I, I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I want my stripes for the past 20 years, please. So they went from no stripes to like, you know, six, seven stripes overnight kind of thing. But uh, that happened a lot, man. And you can't even blame them. There was no money to be made. It was impossible to make a living. You know, it just wasn't something people were interested in. What was the farthest you ever traveled to train, you know, like as you were starting to venture in your, in your, your training? Like, did you have to travel for hours? This is like looking back, it almost looks insane because I live in Vegas. So. I'm, you know, when I describe this to people, they think they think I'm lying, but I did this for a whole year. If you're familiar with Vegas, I used to live on North Lamb and Lake Mead, which is sort of like the ghetto of Vegas. I live at a trailer park with my aunt. And I get on a bus and I go all the way. North Lamb turns into Desert Inn and then I get off Desert Inn and then I go Desert. And then yeah, it was Desert Inn and I think Eastern. And then I get another bus, Eastern and all the way to Eastern and Flamingo. And then I get on another bus, Flamingo, to Decatur. So the total trip to the gym was just under three hours. On a bad day with three hours, on a good day, two hours and 45 minutes. And then I did the same thing on the way back. So I'd spend almost six hours a day on the bus for one training session. Uh, and, and that, that was, was my, in Vegas? That's that was crazy. in Vegas. Yeah, I didn't have a car, so I had to take the bus. So it took me almost, it was like almost six hours a day in a bus daily. And I never, and the thing is like, looking back, I didn't question it. Like there was never a moment in my mind where it crossed my mind that it was too hard or too far, or maybe I should find a, I, I just like, I have a place to stay here for free. I can't afford my own place. I can't buy a car. So I'm going to do this until I can. And I did that for a year until I'm funny. I think I missed the bus bus. So I was walking to a bus stop. To the next one, I had missed it. So it was like a it was Vegas summer, right? So it's like 110 degrees outside. And I'm walking with my gi on my back. And it's like a long walk. And my instructor at the time, Steve Da Silva, happened to be going a different route. He was going somewhere. He sees me on the sidewalk, like miles away from the gym. The sun, he pulls over, like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going home. Oh, I'll drive you. 
And then he drove me all the way to North Land and Lake Mead. He didn't realize it was that far. <laughs> it was like a 45-minute drive. <laughs> God, and then when he drove me, he's like, dude, you do this every day? And I'm like, yeah, I do this every day. So why don't you move in with me? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, you can want to live with me. I got an empty room. You can stay with me. And I go, sure. I, yeah. Yeah. That's, I'll drive you to the gym every day. It's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I moved in with him, with Steve. And then I started living. I lived with him for about a year before I got my own place. Yeah. So he helped me a lot in the beginning. And I'm very thankful. That's awesome. I didn't know that. So, yeah. And listen, I've known Rob for a long time. I did not know that story. Yeah. Now, in Brazil, did you, I know you said, you know, obviously Brazil, the difference between America and Brazil at that time was, you know, Brazil had black belts. We didn't. Um, did you see those black belts opening schools or did you still see, a, you know, maybe a lack of schools? Like, obviously, now there's a school in every corner. Yeah. No, the, basically, U.S., uh, Brazil was in the late 90s where the U.S. was in 2000, between 2005 okay. and 10. There were black belts, but you might have to. You need purple belts teaching. You see purple belts and brown belt. My first, my first, when I went to that gym, the one that the fifth degree black belt opened, I couldn't train in the evening because I was at school. I went to night school, uh, so I, I trained in the morning. And my instructor was a blue belt. I trained with that blue belt for the first six months, I think, eight months, whatever. I trained with the blue belt every day, and then with somebody every now and then a purple belt would pop in. I never saw the black belt. Right, very rarely. And then every now and then a purple belt would pop in and show up. And then we had a brown belt who came from a different city. He had come from Sao Paulo to come train with us. And we saw a brown belt. We were like, whoa. It was like a big deal, man. No, it was a big event. Like, you have a brown belt on the mats. It was a big event. This is 98. It's not that long ago, you know. But again, the difference is U.S., you had none of that. Like, Brazil, it had black belts. And they started opening gyms. And then the purple belt started teaching. And the evolution of the, the, the growth of the, of the competitive jiu-jitsu happened a lot faster in brazil because of that the federations popped out very quickly they had a bigger audience too they had more instructors whereas the u.s they're still like clutching at straws like watching vhs tapes and trying to figure they had to fly to brazil if they wanted a serious competition yeah. you know so it was it, it was harder for the u.s in that sense um because there were less there was there was less to begin with that is yeah no again i, I you know, this younger generation, they just assumed that Brazil just was infatuated with Brazilian jiu-jitsu from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and it's like, hey, no, that's not, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I know that's not true, but I didn't know to what extent, right? And so, you know, I've, I've heard OGs from Brazil talk about how, hey, you know, just you know, America's just a little bit behind. It's not yeah. as far as you think. No, as far as number of practitioners go, the U.S. may have more than Brazil today. As far as practitioners go, if I had to guess, I don't know if I can guess, but the, the truth is, like in Brazil, it's it's harder in a, so many ways too because it's almost impossible to make any money. Like I was an ADCC champion in Brazil, I had twenty two students. True story. ADCC champion, IBJJF world champion, had twenty two students, and they're paying me the equivalent of like twenty dollars a month. So you do that math. That's how much money I made, and I was an ADCC champion. We're talking like what three four hundred bucks a month, not even. I mean, you can't even make a living with that much. And that's the case for everyone. It's very rarely do people manage to turn in a profit in Brazil with jiu-jitsu. It's very rare. Whereas in the U.S., like there's so much cash in the country, you can charge them $150 and you've got people lining up to train. I mean, especially now, it really isn't hard. You get, I mean, Vegas, you get a bunch of people like opening, like every other week they open a gym here. Like somehow they manage to, to pull in the numbers because there's such a huge demand. In Brazil to this day, there is demand, but there's so there's so little cash to go around. People are not willing to pay that 
I mean, there might be like maybe five or ten instructors in the whole country that make good money from jiu-jitsu in Brazil. 99% of them are barely breaking even. So what's the price? Like, do you have any idea what the price for a student in Brazil is, like, as opposed to America? Um, about 100. I'd say like an expensive gym would be 150 highs, which is about $30 a month. Or what? $30 a month, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> and that's if they pay. That's like a, if they're going to pay or not is a whole different story. If you think you're having a hard time getting your students pay here, try Brazil where they're not going to give you their credit card ever. You have to go ask them for money every month, one by one. Wow. It's brutal. Okay. Man. Brutal, brutal. I, I did that for eight years in Brazil. Like, yeah, well, seven years, seven years in Brazil. Yeah, I own a gym. So, like, I, your most expensive gym, you're paying American money $30. Uh, you probably find more expensive gyms. Yeah. I gave you an above average price. Yeah, I think above, the average, okay. pro- yeah, pro- average is probably less than that. But just you know, in yeah. general, like I, yeah. you know, and obviously here in America, man, I've seen some gym prices range all the way to two seventy nine a month to train yeah. in places. Right? Yeah. It just depends on obviously that market. I was telling us like it's not that they're expensive, just where are they at, what's the yeah. rent, what's you know, like th- that's one thing is be- becoming a gym owner and being a gym owner. It's never black and white. I was talking, it's like, you know, like, well, this guy here, you know, charges this much. I'm like, well, you know, his rent is different based on, you know, the counties he's in. Oh, you know, completely different. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, you have a couple of those things that, you know, we look at. And I, I will say this, right? It's, it's a lot more it, work than people realize. I think that people look from the outside. This is what the average purple belt does. He sees 100 people on the mats, and then he does that math times 150, and then he does some research on how much rent is, and he goes, oh, my God, I'll make that much money a month to teach. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, okay, that's the that's the math you're doing. I'm telling you, the reality on the ground is not that simple. And you, they won't, they will not believe you until they do it for themselves. And that's when they're going to go, oh, I, so you yeah, were right guys, after all. <laughs> yeah, I tell guys all the time, I'm like, listen, if you want to be rich, yeah. like – you're not going to do it becoming a gym owner. Like no. maybe some guys have figured that out. I will tell you that obviously I'm not poor, um, you know, and I don't like, I'm not scraping, but it seven years ago, we can say, dude, I, there were months where I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to keep the doors open. Yeah. You know, like, or seven years ago, I was just like, I don't know if we can do that. And, you know, you know, everyone's like, well, you have this many students here. And I'm like, yeah, bro, but I live in Williamson County. And here in Tennessee, that's, I mean, you pay Williamson County prices. I mean, your yeah. rent's pretty expensive. Um, and that's what I was talking about. I was like, man, I promise you, man, like, I am, I'm trying to make it beneficial for you and beneficial for me. But if I wanted to make money, I wouldn't be doing jujitsu. Oh, how, you know, no. I, it drives me crazy when I hear these people talking about how much money they're going to make from jujitsu. Man, you suffer from lack of ambition. If money is your thing, you should not be. It drives me. And I hear these guys like talking about how much money they're making in jiu-jitsu. Really? How much money are you making? A million dollars a year. Wow. You're that like, guys, that's, I mean, if your money is your thing, you got to be in, I mean, you got to be competing with Elon Musk. Like that's, that's where the bar is, right? With Jeff Bezos. That's money. Like big money. Like you do jiu-jitsu for different reasons. It's nice to make money. That's not why we do it. It's not why we started when we were training on filthy mats and watching VHS tapes. It's not why we started. So we try to stay true to the reason why we started. We never forget why we started because if money were our thing, we would be in a different profession. Yeah, you know? for sure, man. Like, listen, I can do a lot, a lot more things that would bring in financial gains. But I would say this, man: 
jujitsu truly did change who I was. You know, in my early 20s, coming out of the military, I man, I had I didn't really have a purpose. I knew I was going to college, but you go from something so organized to something that's not. Like yeah. life is just not organized. The military is organized. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, to, to some people say almost too far an extent, but I was telling yeah. you, guys, no, it's organized. And when you're in your twenties, early twenties, I mean, that's super necessary. Like if you don't have that, it's hard to build the right things. And for some people, they get it in school. I just, that just wasn't me. Like I had to do the military, right? It was just yeah. made sense for who I was. But once you get out, then you're kind of stuck. I was going like, I went from fully organized to nothing. And mm. when I found jujitsu, we were doing small circle jujitsu. Uh, the instructor at that time kind of proclaimed it as Brazilian jujitsu. We didn't know any better, yeah. right? I mean, again, when we talk about this, that was 1997, yeah. right? And so about six months in, we started to realize like, hold up, the, the geese we're wearing are different than the ones that we're watching these guys wear. <laughs> Ours like <laughs> to our kneecaps and into our elbows. And I'm like, yeah. oh. Right. And not dude, and honestly, I, at the time I didn't even care. Like he could have called it, you know, you know, gator jujitsu. And I would have been just fine with it, man. Because what I did find was something that coming from a wrestling background just fed in. Right. But then I tell guys like, you know, once we got to a certain level, he really couldn't teach us anymore because his knowledge was very basic at that time also. And so we, you know, I knew you remember this book, a thousand and one submissions an actual binder. Right? Is that from uh, Gene LaBelle? Uh, man, I don't remember who. I it think was it's Gene LaBelle book. It's, the but name it's, rings a bell. Yeah. yeah. It's a thousand and one submissions. Yeah. And we would just like sit in someone's house and flip the pages. I'm like, all right, this is what you do. Every yeah. once in a while, someone got like a VHS tape that had been, you know, re-recorded 900 times. So it was all grainy and lined yeah. up and it was in Japanese or, you know, we did find some from Brazil but you didn't know what the hell they were saying. So we we're just, all right, well, he put his leg here. We, we do it here. Dude, I actually did a class well, it was, it was, it, on, on carpet. Yeah. I've trained on carpet too. <laughs> we used to train on carpet sometimes. <laughs> now you got students are like, oh man, you know, why don't we have brand new mats every three years? I'm like, yeah, bro. Like no, give me $20,000 and I'll do it. Every other day I had a student complain that it wouldn't have an A2 belt. So I gave him an A3 belt. Oh no. <laughs> Had to, it's like you realize it's like one inch longer, like maybe two inches longer. It's the same. Like, no, it has to. And I'm like, everything has got to be A2H now. It's the colors and the looks. And you guys are bad. Like, shut up and train. You know, <laughs> I like, I had karate gi for the first year. And then I had a judo gi for the after that. It's like, you can cross your mind to complain. You know, it's just, no, you were there for the right like, reasons. Yeah. Well, even the uniforms that we had back then, I mean, you had Hunter who was kind of there, but finding that stuff was interesting. I mean, we all wore Valley Tudo shorts. Let's just be honest. No one. And there was a lot of us that should. Yeah. There was a lot of us that should have never worn those. That's going to be me. My wife makes fun of me all the time when she sees a video of me running around with some Hunter Valley Tudos with a big old butt hanging over the top. I'm like, damn it. Right. But that's what we had. There, there wasn't grappling shorts. And then. Yeah. What what did we have for gi? It was Atama and Hunter, and and they were hard to get. Yeah, they were hard to get. You're not. Yeah, Atama they, they, was hard to get in the U.S. Like, yeah, you have to get. You have to they bring were them patched out too. Man, remember yeah. they were super yeah. patched. Yeah, like F1 driver or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, no one driver. had nine gis. No one had nine gis back then, right? 
we had one gi and some some rash guard. Like the importance was training, right? Like, and I and I and I go back to that. Truly, the importance was training. We would find anywhere we could train, right? We would seek any knowledge we can find because, again, the NSA is. The younger generation will never know that struggle, nor do they understand it. It's like having your grandpa tell you, back in my day, you know, we did this. Like, that's cool, but that's just never going to be in my wheelhouse. You know, like, I'm uh, never going to understand that. I remember I was in I was in college back in Brazil, and the professor told us a story. I can never find the story, so it may be apocryphal, right? But uh, the story goes, so there's like an old man complaining about kids having it too easy and they're soft and life used to be so much harder back in the day. And then he goes, so what, 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 when is this quote from? And then everyone goes, 1960s. The other one goes, 1940s. The other one goes, 1920s. And the professor goes, ancient Greece, right? And then, well, so my, the point is, like, this is a much yeah. older theme. There's always an old generation of grumpy men like me who are complaining about the soft generation. But I will say this thing, that there's one thing that has changed. And this is what you have to factor in. You know, in ancient Greece, 200 years could go by and no major technological development would take place. Life was exactly the same, right? We're, we're living in a world that's changing so quickly. And it is a world obsessed with pleasure and comfort. Sugar, as I call it, like sugar, 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 more sugar. Yeah. Anything that's quick, rewarding, and overwhelms the sense of this is like there's an incentive for it, whether it's intellectual, whether it's physical, whether it's like a, a, anything that is quick. Even our movies, like watch our movies. Watch our movies. Like it's just pure sugar. It's just like easy to digest, zero thinking, zero plot, zero acting, zero writing. It's just dead. There's nothing there, but it's easy, right? Like yeah. everything. Like look at video games. Like I was walking the dog in the park the other day. And there's this kid, kid, he's like a little bit younger than me, maybe like 30 something years old. And he's <laughs> sitting on his iPad in the park and he's doing this right here. He, he, I mean, we had to play Street Fighter. You have to at least like have like crazy commands to pull off like the special moves, yeah. you know, like that was just like you're doing this. And even that's gotten easier. And then the, the point is where we, we are like drug addicts overwhelmed with pleasure. And that's what we, yeah. that's our civilization. We're a civilization of drug addicts, of entertainment, of, of, lack of uh, a hard, hard reading like shocking case in point people can't read oh it's a hard read so you're intimidated by it are you scared of it so what does that say about your intellect if you get intimidated by a book you can't read and then you want to call yourself smart are you you can't read a book and you tell me you're so there's no challenge you have people are constantly avoiding the challenge so it's easy to go to tiktok because it's 15 seconds no discipline no thinking yeah. right intellectually it's just dead there's nothing there right and then we have a civilization of people just I, I call it intellectual obesity. That's what I call it. There's not just you're just fat on the inside because you don't work out. Your mind is your mind is not working out ever. So your mind's you, watching Netflix. Your mind is watching Netflix and playing video games on your iPod, your phone. It's like scrolling. So and I'm not saying I don't do any of these things, but I think that there's there's something to be said about a civilization that's gotten weaker over with because of technology. We've gotten a lot lot weaker. And I think that's where old grandpa comes in. Old grandpa was right. We have become, like com compared to my grandpa, I'm a pussy. My grandfather okay. used to work in a cornfield when he was eight years old. He never, he never went out. He never left the country. He worked his entire life. He started when he was eight in the cornfield. Compared to him, I'm a pussy. But then I see the kids here that won't walk for 15 minutes to the gym because it's too hot outside. 15 minute walk, they won't do it because it's too hot outside. And I'm I remember I used to walk to three buses to get to practice every day and i never crossed my mind not to do that and i compared to those kids i feel like i'm tough i feel like i'm john rambo you know 
But there's something you see generationally. It's because of technology and comfort, we've gotten increasingly weaker. And I, I think that's troublesome because at some point, it's like, how weak can you get before the whole thing implodes? Before, when these kids are in office, and they will be in 20, 30 years, that's a yeah. terrifying thing. <laughs> well, I think the saving grace that I, I look yeah. there, because I agree with you, I think you're 100% right. Mm-hmm. Generationally, I think we're getting weaker. And you, yeah, you can just go with this technology has gotten more and we've gotten the ability to touch things more and not have to work for them. We become softer. Yeah. But I, I do feel like and there, and that's not just, you know, obviously, I'm going to talk about jujitsu, because that's, that's my that's my drug of choice. Right. But I always go with like, um, jujitsu, when I see the younger generation going in there, and again, I'll go with the advance of technology, right? Um, we've learned to train these individuals better, right? From when we were training, because we didn't really have that. And I was telling guys like, what you're seeing today is it's the guys that were grinding in 97, 98, 99 that didn't know anything. We didn't have those, right? And the ones that, that survived that didn't break themselves yeah. that are still in the game, we, we understand there's a better way to do this, right? Yeah. Um, and as, as we're building this out, what I am seeing is even though I, I, there's times where I feel like there's no hope for humanity, then I got this five or six year old that's just coming into the gym and it's just, you know, mom's telling me how like, they've got to tell him to chill out. Like, Hey, we can't go to jujitsu every day. Yeah. Like, you know, we can't do this. And I'm seeing that generation come up. And again, you know, we can say the advancement of technology is bad, but also I think in some ways you can use that an advancement of good, right? Like yeah. we have better, we have instructionals that are available to us now, you know, that's an educational source. Yeah. And so what I'm finding is a lot of these younger generation from that, you know, seven to 24 mark that are really like just intrigued with jujitsu, they are spending time watching jujitsu moves. They're, they're watching videos. And I think that gives me hope that man we do have gener- some people in those generations that are going to be good yeah so this I, i'm with you like there's like there's always going to be the strong ones right like people yeah. that see the the value in, in in hardship like my issue is like technology obviously has its advantage i'm talking to you right now because of it yeah so i hope i don't sound hypocritical but it's like anything that makes you weaker i think is detrimental to the to the individual but there's hope yeah. you're right like i, I just see like the other day i was walking a similar story to the one i just told you with steve I'm driving down home and I see this kid walking, one of my students, and he's walking on the sidewalk. It's like nine o'clock at night and it's pretty cold. It's not Canada cold in Vegas, but it's like, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 degrees. It's cold. And he had his shirt on and I'm watching him. I'm like, he doesn't have a jacket on or anything. I pull away, man. Where are you going? Like, I'm going home. Like, you want to ride? Yeah, sure. So I get him in the car and I'm driving him home. I go, why don't you have a jacket on? She's like, you need a jacket? I wonder if he doesn't have one, right? And he goes, oh no, I just like to walk in the cold. And I go, why? I'm just, I, I, I'm hoping that he's going to answer the way I want him to answer. And he does. He goes, I think that sometimes you should learn how to, you know, like endure things a little bit. I think it makes you stronger if you do that. He's 19 years old. And I'm going, oh, there's hope. There's someone that sees the value in life here. He understands the meaning of, of important things because important things are hard. They're not easy. It's strengthening yourself is important. So you can learn how to appreciate good things. Like a good book is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. Like yeah. Good training is supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. Good movies are not supposed to be easy. They're supposed to be hard. They're supposed to challenge you. And if they're not challenging, they're not doing anything for you. And this kid is 19 years old. And granted, he doesn't have a dad either. So I'm more like, this kid knows something about life at 19. And he's going places. You know, and then I, th- I thought that was 
it's rare. You don't see that very often. You would normally see the opposite, but he doesn't have a social media account and he's 19. I'm like, I like this kid. He's <laughs> <This is> special. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a 19-year-old with no social media accounts. That's, yeah, it's a rare that's thing. That's almost unheard of, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm almost 50 and I have a social media account, right? Yeah. So, um, and I always tell people, if I didn't own businesses, I wouldn't be on social media. I just, there's, there was a time, you know, when the social media for me was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was reconnection points. And there are times now when I get on social media and I have yeah. to shut it down, man, because I just, I will get involved, emotionally involved. And for what? I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to change anyone's opinion over Facebook or Instagram or anything else. All I'm going to do is go to bed, like with, you know, my anxiety up because someone, it's know, a drug. Someone said something like, yeah, I'm like, dude, I'm it's out. A drug. You know, you might as well do crack. Why not? I mean, it must feel good too. It doesn't mean it's good for you. It's what it feels yeah. good temporarily. You know, it's, uh, I think it's probably, I, do you do it for business? I do it because I'm single. <laughs> I probably, if I were married, I probably wouldn't even touch that thing. That's the only reason I go on there. It's just, it's, it's so time consuming. There's nothing. It doesn't do, it doesn't, it doesn't elevate you. Like you should ask yourself the question, anytime you are doing something, in what way is this improving on you? And if the answer is it's not improving, you should drop it. Because what you do with your free time defines you. You're not who you think you are. You are what you do with your free time. Yeah. That's who you really are. Oh, I am this guy. I am that guy. No, you are. When you're dreaming in bed right before you go to bed, the things are going through your head, that's who you are. The yeah. things you do when you have a Saturday or a Sunday for yourself, right, and you choose to watch TikTok and Instagram and like something stupid on Netflix, okay, I'm not sorry. I don't want to offend you, but – I mean, you and I mean, that's that's who you are. There's no way around it, you know, like so I I think it says a lot about about us, you know, like the level of of uh, challenges we we choose to place in front of us in life, because I I speaking for myself, maybe it's different for other people. But like, I can't imagine a life without challenges like you you need them. I crave them. Well, you know, I look at Alex, you know, Alex is that he's 24, um, you know, and but he's always, he's been involved in jujitsu since he was 14. And I look at individuals like that. Right. And, and I go back and I look at myself, you know, when I, again, when I got out of the military, I needed, I needed to belong. Right. And that was like the closest thing for me to belong to something that was organized. Um, and then when I go back to it, I was telling guys like, I never started jujitsu because I thought I wanted to be a world champion. I never started jujitsu because I thought I wanted to be an MMA fighter. I honestly joined jujitsu, man, because I had nothing else that made sense in my life when I came out from the military that was pushing me from a physical and mental standpoint. In the military, you're being pushed physically and mentally every day. And then you come out and it's just like you realize the majority of the population doesn't want to be pushed physically and mentally, right? And so you just don't fit in. Like I just didn't fit in. And then I found this group of dudes that were oddballs again, walking into this little dojo and throwing each other around, you know, but I found my tribe right there. But I always tell people what that also did for me was, you know, I inherently wanted to learn more about life. Like when you start training, you start to realize, man, I need to know about health. I need to know about physical activity. I need to know about, you know, you just want, you want to learn, right? Like self-improvement. So I was talking as man, I, I mean, 95% of the books I read are either self-improvement or business related. Yeah. Like, how can I improve myself so that I'm better for my students? How do I improve myself so I'm better for my family? Not necessarily how do I improve myself to be a better competitor? Because to me, man, the competition portion of it, it's very small for me. Like, especially as a gym owner and, a, and as an instructor, I mean, it's, 
everyone thinks it's pretty high on my on my totem pole it's not it's pretty low like i i want to be able to give my students the best version of me possible so i'm continually growing but when i look at a kid like alex who started out you know he wasn't doing 14 through 18 year olds were doing in high school like he was in the gym five days a week he was hanging around adult you know adult dudes adult women that you know just had different visions in life. So I, I saw him becoming a little bit more adultish, right? Yeah. And then again, even, you know, some of the things he does at, at 18 to 24, you just go like, yep, just youth. But what I do see is he's not like most 24 year olds that don't train. Like, you know, they're out yeah. partying every weekend. They're chasing girls all the time. You know, there's no self-improvement. It's about yeah. perception of who, who you think I am. Yeah. And when you have someone like Alex, you know, or in the, and he's, again, he's, he's just my guy, but there's a ton of those dudes out there. That's what gives me hope. There's a generation of people out there, man, that are, are searching and wanting to get better. I feel like jujitsu is just a connector. It's, it's, it's always been that way, right? The difference is, you know, now you get people who don't belong in jujitsu. They're drawn to it because it's popular. They're, they're the high, the kids that were trying to be popular in high school. Remember that kid? They did yeah. everything he could to be popular and be the cool kid and hang out with the cool crowd. And after high school, he did jack shit with his life because he had nothing in him, right? Yeah. We're seeing that's like the vast majority of competitors in jiu-jitsu now. It's just like people that want to they want be. I have kids writing me, "Hey, I'm a big fan. Could you please follow me?" Like, like that's their life, man. They actually spent their days writing people, asking them to follow them. Like that's how their mind works. You don't belong in jiu-jitsu, man. You should be training. Oh, if you want to be famous, go be a Hollywood actor. Go be jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I mean, seriously, you want to be rich? Go do what Jeff, Jeff Bezos does. Go to Wall Street. Like, you get people that are in it for the wrong reasons because now there's money and popularity in the sport, and that's what they're after. And unfortunately, that's the majority. But, like, the same people that were fighting, you know, training jiu-jitsu in the 90s, they're still there. They're still the Alexes. The kid walking in the cold, you know, like home because he wanted to endure the cold and, and toughen himself. You know, like, these people exist, but they've always been the minority. They always will be. You know, and I think that's just the way of things. Like some people got more grit to them. And then I think that the reason why some people don't struggle, they, they're not willing to put in the effort, is because they have not found what they're truly passionate about. And instead of looking in the right places, which might be music, it might be acting, it might be art, it might be a million different things. It might be writing, it might be reading, it might be working. It's they, they, they've been coerced by a world that has convinced them that success means to be famous and rich. And they're pursuing that wherever they can find it. And jiu-jitsu is just one of the many avenues where you can find that. What they don't see is that whatever whatever success that is, you know, in quotation marks, that's that's a side effect of your of your success as as an individual who finds meaningful things to struggle towards, you know. And they're skipping all that, right? They're doing they're doing they're, they're in the wrong profession. They're looking for the wrong things in the wrong places. And as a result, I don't think they're fulfilled because you get these people they they're in the sport for like four or five years and they bounce and they go to somewhere else. They go find a new high school join you know because they never leave it they stay they remain their minds remain in high school they just never they just never graduate it's unfortunate because some of the i know some of these people are in their 40s and they're still chasing that popular like dude like wake up man then that's not who you are <laughs> you know you can do better things with your life you know like don't yeah. it's a short life man you gotta live it don't be like worried about what other people are thinking what is that did anything for anyone like oh yeah what i guess it's, it's it's a constant uh 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 um uh, the, the constant need for validation and approval. I think that's what's so detrimental. You can't even think be we, yourself. You know? No, I mean, we all, obviously, we want that. We all want to be validated. We all want to be approved. But I feel like when it takes 
over who you are and that's all you're about like your entire and we know those individuals right whether yeah. i see him in jujitsu i see him in life it, it doesn't matter like you know you see individuals that they're not doing anything for them everything that they're doing is based off of a like a, a share it's just it's crazy to me and I, I just sit back i'm like all right man like at some point this this has all got to end and you're gonna go like well hell i don't know who i am literally i've spent my last entire 10 years being someone that I wasn't, I was being a personality. That's different. And, and, and not only that, it creates an addiction because now you're addicted. You have no sense of self-esteem because whatever sense of self-worth you have is entirely dependent on foreign approval. Other people must like me first. Otherwise, what's my value? Right? My value is dependent on how other people perceive me, not how I perceive myself. And that's very damaging. You can't even begin to say the consequences of someone who thinks that way. You have no, are you surprised that suicide rates are through the roof? I'm not. Yeah. You have no sense of self-esteem. You have no self-love, right? You're talking around, talking about likes, likes, loves, hearts, hearts, and getting people to love you. And you don't love, you're not happy with who you are. And I, I know it's old advice, but I, I think there's something to be said about the, 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 the narcissism that is corroded like youth. Like they cannot detach their sense of self-worth from, you know, who they are online. And I think I, I don't think people are fully comprehending how destructive that is in the long term. I mean, I'm not saying COVID isn't an issue. I think what we're watching through social media is a much bigger problem than COVID. Yeah. No one seems to think it's a problem. And everyone knows it's a problem, but everyone's too busy on their phones to actually approach the problem from like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't let kids on social media. Maybe we shouldn't let them on social media for the same reason we don't give them beers, for the same reason we don't <laughs> give them Coke. You know, because it's 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 something that they're not equipped to deal with that level of temptation and addiction. And because that's exactly what it is. You know, it's it's a, it's an addiction. And it's just time. Look, I'm not saying my kids don't do it. I'm not saying I don't do it. But I think that everything moderation is I think is, is good advice. And, and I think that it's 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 doing a lot of psychological damage. I think we're only starting to see the long term consequences of this. Yeah, no, I, and I think. You know, I, I always tell guys like, if you're if you're coming into martial arts and you're wanting to open a gym, the, the just what we're talking about, you know, some of these things that we're saying, it's not that we can change the world, but man, we can change the outlook of those individuals that we get to touch, right? Yeah. That's what I tell guys like when I, you know, as far as a gym owner, like I encourage them to go out and play more. I encourage yeah. them, you know, to 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 stay off of their devices and you know to be in you know go out and try lots of things like just man i love jujitsu you know but if you like jujitsu but you want to wrestle go wrestle you want to wrestle for a while and you want to go play like go do those things and that's where i tell guys that's where we make differences as martial art coaches yeah. right not from a financial game man because and you know this because i know who you are like there's a reason why you're my professor we give away more than we get. And I don't think people see that. And obviously we don't want them to, I'm not doing it again for likes. Yeah. I'm not doing it for popularity and do those things. Cause they're the right thing. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, and obviously as you do those people are watching man and they see it just, you know, case in point, I have a, a young female, um, that is in a, is a very impressive teenage competitor. Right. And in the last year she started helping us teach in our kids program. Well, you know, obviously I'm very big on like taking care of family and that family atmosphere, you know, and at 16 to watch her mom post that, uh, you know, Hey, you know, my daughter used her own money with her job that she's got, you know, and obviously that jobs with us 
to take her younger brother out to watch a movie and took him out to dinner. Right. And then I was like, all right, that's, that's the right answer. And then there's hope. Yeah. When she came in, you know, you know, I was like, Hey man, I just want you like, I think our kids these days need to hear this because they're not hearing it enough, which is we, we scold them when they're, when they, when they do, don't get, when they don't do good, we, we, you know, we hold things over their head, but when they do things that are amazing, we just say that you're supposed to do that. No, they need that. So it's like coming up to her and going, Hey, you know what, man, I saw what your mom posted and I couldn't be any prouder of you. Right. Like that is just, you don't know what you did to your younger brother. Like yeah. you made his day cause you're his older sister and you're, you know, we just to be honest, older sisters can be buttholes. Right. But that you did that, man, that's going to last forever. And you know, her response was like, well, I've got good mentors coach, you know, and that, that was awesome. You know, there's a, um, the other day I was at the gym and you, you know, Mar- Marcelo has been with me for, you know, 15 plus years, more than that. Yeah. Probably like t- almost 20 years now. And he's always been very, very loyal. Like the guy will take a bullet for me. Like I don't question, yeah. you know, like, and I it came up in conversation the other day and they're like, man, he's so loyal to you. And I'm like, yeah, but they were talking about it. And I realized how fucked up we've become. Right? It's like, this is how messed up this world is when they see loyalty, they're shocked. Yeah. That's the norm. That's the way that's to me. That's baseline. That's standard. Like being loyal to the people who do things for you. To me, that's, it's almost like it's something so rare that when you see someone behaving like that, people are shocked because they're not used to seeing it. And I think it says in a way, the compliment to him, it becomes automatically like an insult to everyone else in some ways, because it's like, I think the fact that that shocks you is like, well, you don't think that's normal. So you tell me that the norm is to be disloyal. And then when you find someone who is, like, I think it goes to show how much we have lowered the standards of everything, really. Like standards are being denigrated all across the board. The easier, the better. Everything's supposed to be self-satisfying. Like there's no, you, you don't see loyalty. I mean, it's strange, man. Like I remember when Steve like drove me that day and then he let me stay at his house. <clears throat> you know, like I never forget these things. I remember like one time he gave me a t-shirt. It was a white belt, but a term and didn't fit him. And he just gave me a T-shirt. I'll never forget the game. This T-shirt, the one with the pit bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was a yeah. white game. This T-shirt, right? And he just gave it to me. Gave Does this fit you? I'm like, what? Like it's like a medium. I'm like you know, like 16 at the time. I'm like yeah. And he goes, you want? It? I'm like yeah. And then he was like, yeah, it's yours. And I go, man, I remember thinking to myself, me? Why me? Why did he give me a T-shirt? He could have given it to anyone else. He gave it to me. Holy shit! And that and that from that moment onwards, that's all it took. <laughs> I was like, that's my guy for life. You know, but it, it's it's something that it's 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 been it's like everyone is Conor McGregor, like everyone's a superstar now. And I think that's you don't realize how detrimental that is to yourself. Now, forget about me; I don't give a shit how you want to live your life. You're hurting yourself, buddy. You know, because yeah. you're you're creating a legend in your own mind, and you haven't even begun to put in the work. That's going to create a lot of anxiety down the road if it hasn't already, man. And that suicide rate, those anxiety, that depression, it's not going to go down. It's not going to go down. Well, you know, I, I look at this, you know, like when we talk about this, I'll see the, I see those dynamics kind of playing into gym atmospheres, right? You have leaders yeah. like you that build a good culture, right? Is it perfect? There's no culture that's perfect, man. You're going to have people that come in and they just don't click. And then somehow they'll find a way for you to be the bad guy, yeah. right? That's just, that's normal. What I don't care how awesome you are. You're going to always have one or two a year that come in and just stir the pot a little bit 
and then they're out. You're like, what the hell? Like, all right, I got to clean that up. But I would say overall, like I look at your culture, your gym. It's a great culture. I, I look at the Thank culture you. of my gym, great culture. I would say 95% of the gyms that, that are in middle Tennessee, great culture. Right. But then you got those other gyms, man, where you've got, I wouldn't say it's a bad culture, but it's definitely not a culture that, not, that I'm preaching. Like, here's the deal. Okay. You know, what I consider bad and what someone else, someone else considers bad, that's left up to, you know, to interpretation. Yeah. Just, I don't, I don't hold value on shit talking. I just don't think it, it has a place. And maybe it's because I'm older now yeah. that I just kind of go like, man, I just don't see the process of it. I get it that a lot of guys like to, sh you know, shit talk to, to hype up things. And whether it's in the UFC, you got that, you know, in, in, in jujitsu now i mean just and i get it man you want you you, you want to hype up things but i just think there's a, a better way to do that i think shit talking to me just doesn't make sense i don't like it in my gym i'm like hey man like we're in martial arts man we, we've got to hold a code yeah. right like we respect those individuals yeah we can do certain things but i just say like that's just not a culture that i want in my gym you know where winning mm -hmm. is everything and if we don't win then, then it doesn't validate who we are and now, you know, I've had guys go, well, that's because, you know, you can't, you can't grow winners. Like, no, no, that's not true. Right. But I appreciate their closed mindedness. Yeah. I can't grow winners, but that's not what I'm about. Mine is about at the end of the day, eventually you're going to walk away from my gym, whether you were there for two years, six years, 20 years, at some point, life is going to take you another direction. I want you to walk away with more than, oh, I got a whole bunch of medals in this box. That's That was my journey. All right. Like, I want, like, what did I learn that was there? And I just find the cultures that, that kind of say, hey, it's okay to shit talk. Let's, you know, let's hype it up. It's all about winning. You got to win all the time. Smash, destroy, kill. You just don't, like, I always go, like, I, I can go to the facility. Nine times out of ten, they have a really crappy kids program. Yeah. Right? Because why? Parents aren't going to parents are going to stand for that. They're not going to go into a gym where there's just not anything that's there. Right. And then what I find is those guys become way more disloyal long-term like that type of mentality. Oh yeah. You, you allow it to build, man. Those guys are the ones that are jumping ship. I just don't see gyms that have like just a great atmosphere that, that, that are running that, that real martial arts code that, I mean, those guys got guys training with them. Maybe they don't compete. They're not killers, but walk in their gym. They've got 40 to 60 guys on the mats every night. And, and it's, and this is, this brings me back to like something I did wrong for, I mean, it's some things I've done wrong. Some things I don't, I don't like to use the word regret, right? Cause your mistakes get you where you are and you should love yeah. your life exactly as it is. But I don't, um, I remember like, you know, watching like some of my students as they get up, like they go up. All of a sudden, it, it, I not to quote Spider Man, but with great power comes great responsibility, and I love that quote, right? But because it's, I think it's a very important one, as a, even though the, the origin is corny, it's still a good, it's still a good lesson. It says a lot. I believe that as you go up in ranks, right, as you, your responsibility towards the platform grows because you're standing on that platform, and the only reason you're standing a little bit taller than anyone else, regardless of how many titles you have or what belt you are, the only reason you're standing taller is because there's a platform that you are standing on. And people don't acknowledge that because like so many guys, they, they start getting that recognition. They want more. Give me more attention. I'm special. I'm different. I'm on flow grappling, Rob. 
don't you understand how special I am? <laughs> like in your mind, I'm sure you're a legend, but in, in, on these mats, you have a debt towards that white belt. So I make yeah. my high belts help the white belts and they don't want to do it because they think they're special, you know? And I, I think that's, uh, uh, that's something I insist on because I, I think, I believe in that debt. I think we all has a, of a debt towards the, the culture of the gym, right? Because you stand on that culture. So if I were a gardener, you wouldn't water the fruit, would you? If you want to water water the the tree, what do you water? You water the roots, yeah. right? You, you you don't go for the poor water on the fruit because what happens if you do that? What happens to the tree? It dies. It dies, right? You, you if you pour life source. if you pour water on the roots, and every now and then you cut off some rotten branches and some rotten fruit, the truth the tree stays healthy. And like I, my gym is going on fourteen years now, and I have never had an issue coming up with good students. From white to blue to purple, but sometimes you lose them when they get better. But no problems doing it because I know there's a strong foundation there. And I don't sacrifice that foundation for nothing in this world because it will bear good fruit for all eternity. For as long as I'm around or even hopefully after that, it's still going to bear good fruit because the, yeah. the roots are so deep and solid. And that's what you have to nourish. You have to focus on the center. The margins, you got to let them go. You can't change the margins. They're the margins. And going back to what you said a second ago, you're not going to make everyone happy, man. Some people aren't going to like you. No. There's not, there's no way around it. You just got to accept that. Yeah. I always tell guys, man, as a gym owner, you got to know that no matter what you do, there are going to be people that walk in that door and then don't like you. Yeah. And that's from day okay, one, man. Yeah. Like from day one, you know, yeah. or, you know, someone that you've helped out a ton, but then you finally have to say, I can't help you out. Yeah. Then you find out that how, how true is that individual? Cause a lot of times what I've seen is they'll walk. As soon as they can't get anything else out of you, they walk. And guess what? They're going to come and go. But I was talking, I was like, I'm not going to stop being me. Like, I'm still going to continue to give. Why? Because for every one bad apple that that's thrown out, I've got 20. Yeah. Right? And if I allow the one bad apple to destroy my kindness, my, you know, my love for the sport, then, dude, that says a lot about me. It says about about, about my strength and, and who I am. Yeah. So, yeah, does it hurt? Sure, man. Anytime you have a student that leaves, right? You've, you've devoted time to them. Those are like one of the things that drives me crazy is when I hear people that don't have skin in the game go, it's a pay-to-play sport. Like, well, eh, yeah, it is. But what are you paying for? Are you paying just for classes? Cool, then just come to class. But that's not what happens at jiu-jitsu gyms. You don't pay for that. You you end up becoming yeah. in this culture that becomes friends. You come and, you know, I was telling you, it's like, there's a lot of you guys that come break bread at my house, right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, we do things with each other. We end up becoming family. You know, our families end up becoming family. So, no, it's not just a gym membership, right? And, and, and so what I found is those individuals that do leave, sometimes that is intertwined in there, right? Is it, but you have to be able to peel back and go, all right, well, it is what it is. Like, I can't force you to stay here. But I'm not going to stop reaching out and, and continuing to to. Div- like devote to my students just because of one bad apple. No, you're right. And you know, as far as it hurting, I imagine I've never had cancer, but I'm, I imagine chemotherapy must be painful too. Yeah. And sometimes it's necessary just because something is hurting. Does not mean it's not good for you. Yeah. That's my point. You know, I think people, they do associate pleasure with goodness and, and pain with evil. And like, no, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes the right thing to do is to suffer and like, let these things get out of you because they're destroying you in a way that is not going to make you better. Where sometimes that pain will make you better, like the yeah. swimmer who swims upstream to strengthen himself. That's good, right? That's good. 
And I, that's how I see things now. Like, and, and it's, I mean, it's just our learning lessons. Like, no one, no one's born knowing these things. You got to get kicked in the teeth enough time to reach these conclusions. And you got to be thankful for the, 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 the teeth kicking too. So, you know, because yeah, they, they parents that, on you. Yeah. I get parents that'll be like, man, I just, you know, you run this so smooth, man, and you handle things so well. And I'm like, it's because I failed a lot. You're just yeah. seeing the success of yeah. all my failures. Like yeah. this isn't the first, this isn't the last, you know, um, but, but I go with that. Like, you know, I think the, the culture of, of the sport, um, it's got to be, man, it starts from the gym ownership, right? It starts from the leader. And again, like some guys are just so devoted on winning. And you know this, like we have a very competitive team at my gym. We represent Zenith very well. We're always at every major tournament. But I was telling you guys, man, that's like 5% of my student base. Yeah. The other 95% of my student base Man, they could care less about competing. And but I'm they're like, most of your energy. They're yeah. 5%, but they're most of your energy. Oh, they are for sure. Without them, yeah. the gym isn't what it is. So I was like, you have to be able to balance those out, right? And and it's like, you know, having a competition team or individuals that want to compete, I think is important. I mean, you have to have that aspect of the gym, but you also have to be able to peel back and be able to to dedicate to the other 95%, again, like you said, or the energy of the gym. Without them, the gym doesn't exist. I, I I just feel like some some schools don't do that, right? It's just it's either all the way one way or all the way the other way. Like it's just there has to be an even balance or a medium yeah. balance. And again, that always goes back to leadership. And when I look at the leadership, just because I'm you know I consider myself an OG. I started training in '97. You know when jujitsu was nothing in in the states. You know when we weren't chasing belts. We weren't chasing stripes. You know, I didn't want to become an MMA fighter. That's not really why I started, but when it, the opportunity was given to me, I took it. Was I the best MMA fighter? No, but back then no one was the best. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. But you fought. Right? That's, that's yeah. The we just fought. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like we fought. And so, yeah. but as I come back, you know, I was telling you, I was like, I, most of the guys that I see that, that traveled the way I did, they have very successful schools, right? It wasn't about them, but I've seen other dudes that, you know, when they started, it was about impressing people and they wanted to be the next guy in the UFC. Those guys don't really exist anymore. Yeah. You know, they're, they're working a nine to five job now. They're not training. Like I, mean, I, I we can just go dozens and dozens of those dudes that I've met. Right. But usually the guy that comes in that just wants to learn martial arts and, is looking for, you know, to build himself and to, to be a better human being. Those are the individuals that are sitting in my gym, my 18 black belts. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, um, yeah, like it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, what is it that you want out of, out of, yeah. out of life? You know, like, what are you, I, what is it you prize the most? You know, and you, it's, it's a simple question, but it's not an easy one to answer. I think if I know myself the way I think I do, and I think you're going to give me similar answer because I think we're similar people in a lot of ways. But um, I, I think we, we choose we choose lessons, we choose wisdom, we choose growth over everything else, and that's going to come with like a degree of of throwing yourself in a fire and it's going to burn sometimes, and you don't never step into the fire again just because of that you throw yourself back in and you keep doing it and hopefully you have enough energy and heart left in you till the end of your life you can keep doing that you never stop yeah i think that to me that's that's how i i want to be fighting till the day i die 
I'll be fighting. Yeah. Not not physically, because I can barely do that at 40, but in <laughs> <laughs> any other way I, my mind allows me to, I'll be fighting. Yeah. Because it gives my life meaning. That's what's, that's what makes me happy. Well, I, you know, I always tell you, it's like, for me, the day that jujitsu stops becoming fun, I'm going to walk away. There's days as a gym owner, it's not fun. Yeah. But as far as my my progression in jujitsu, yeah. I've never had a day where I felt like I didn't want to do jujitsu. There were days I didn't want to own a gym. There, I can put those all out the door. But there's never been a day that I walked in and I didn't want to do jujitsu. So I tell guys, until that day happens, I will endure all the crazy stuff. I will rock that out and I will continue to lead from the front. And I'm hoping, like you said, I'm hoping I'm doing it until like literally I'm either dying on the mats or man, my body just shuts down to where I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's physically I had to slow it down a lot. I was, you know, I went from training twice a day to training like three, four times a week. But um, physically, I'm definitely, I got arthritis on my hands. If there's one place you don't want to have arthritis, I have two herniated discs. That's nothing. I have arthritis on both my knees. That's nothing. I have no ligaments on my left ankle. That's nothing. The arthritis <laughs> on the hands, man, I'm telling you, that is by far the worst because there's nothing you can do in jiu-jitsu without your hands. You're useless yeah. without your hands. And I, I feel myself losing strength every day because I can't hand fight anymore, you know, but but you, you, you I, I've been on the mats and, and, you know, in a more, in a metaphorical way, I think is, is something I never plan on leaving. Like competitiveness, jujitsu competition is not something I can, you know, even, I don't even think about it anymore, but you're right. Like I, I want to be on the mats, the, the mats of life, those mats I'm never quitting on, you know, because I enjoy it, man. I, I overall, I, I don't know how long I want to live, but I want to live. I, I, you want to. You want to enjoy it while you're here. So I, I want to like finish off the podcast with a couple of things. Obviously, man, we have the ability to have you on here and you and I can talk about so much like you and I probably could sit down for hours and shift fire probably about 10, 15 times in a conversation and it would never get boring. Um, But I get you all the time. And I was telling you guys, like I have access to Robert whenever I need it for an individual. And I'm just going to pick your brain from a coach's standpoint uh, from someone that's been at the highest level of competition to the highest level of coaching, right? As you see individuals come into a gym day one, right? And and obviously, you know, their expectations. What are your expectations as a coach? Like when you see someone come in and you're giving them their 10 minute welcome to the gym speech, right? What does that look like? I mean, how are you motivating these individuals to continue their journey or to, to accept the journey? Uh, I don't know, man. Like I, it's, it's a tough one because I, I think, like I said, like it's not for everyone. Man. I think a lot of people, everyone can train, but like expecting like, you know, elevation from everyone is sometimes just a waste of, of energy. So it's not for, like, not everyone wants to be a champion. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe he's a phenomenal mechanic, a phenomenal father, phenomenal. And there's a, everyone's got their own talents. You just got to find what they are. And that's up to you. You know, as, as a coach, my job is to improve on you in any way I can, physically, emotionally, intellectually. Like, that's my job. And that's what I do in there. And I, I, I think I do that. I think I do a good job. My only request is that they show up. That's the only thing I can do for them. <laughs> your job is walking through that door. I tell them every day, that's your only job. 
show up, walk through that door, hopefully with an open mind. Keep your white belt hat on. You never take that white belt hat off. Keep it on your entire life. Okay? Don't give me this shit like, oh, I got a game. I hit blue belts. Oh, this is my game. What you're showing me is not my game. I just want to remove. I want to take their blue belts and I want to throw it out the window and demote them to white belt every time I hear that because clearly you've learned nothing in the last you know year you've been training. But um, yeah, that's that's my job is is to improve on them. Their job is to walk through the door. Their job is fairly easy. Walk through the door. You know everything. But can we team. agree? It's not that easy. No, it's not. It's it, it is easy in theory, but like the easy yeah. the easy things are always the important things. You know, like it's just always. I think it's funny when people specialize on the margins and the sophistication and the complex because we associate complexity with superiority, you know, and the, the best things in life are very simple. The most important yeah. things in life are very simple. In jiu-jitsu, it's well showing up. And even yeah. something, it's so simple, people go, no, it can't be that easy. There must be a system that I need to learn. If only I learn a system, it's like the magic pill, you know, it's like, no, it's just showing up, buddy. That's all it takes. That's all it is. Uh, now, and we can't do, you, do that for them. Yeah. Do you find that, like, and I find this at my gym, and I'm going to, like, you get guys that come in, man, and they just get the jujitsu bug. And they want to be there five, seven days a week. And I'm always like, dude, chill. Like, you're going to burn out. Like, I've never, it, like, maybe one in 30, I've felt stay past that frame. You get guys that just get in there, and it's like, dude, this is my new thing. And they're in there seven days a week. I'm like, hey, dude, you're going to burn out. Like why you're number one, you've never done this before Two, your body is going to take a beating that you've never had before. I don't care what you've lifted. And we all know this after your first or second jujitsu class, you hurt in places you thought you couldn't hurt in. Right. And so if you're pushing through that, as you're just pushing through injuries, you're not accustomed to, like I always tell my guys, start off two to three days a week, man, make it realistic. Cause if not, then again, the showing up process that you talk about, yeah. it becomes a lot harder for them to do. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, here's the thing, man. Like you ever watch fight club? Everyone loves fight club, right? Yeah. My favorite scene in fight club is a lot of I think people like love, like the, the fighting scenes. I'm like, I skip all that. I'm used to fighting. The one that, the one that caught my attention, there's a scene there where like, uh, Tyler Durbin, right? The guy that Brad Pitt plays, he gets into like a seven 11. He pulls this Asian guy out of the shop, points a gun to his head and goes, what did you want to be in life? And then he starts crying because he thinks it's going to die. He's like, what do you want to be in life? And he goes, I want to be a veterinarian. And then he goes, okay, I'm going to come back in one week. And if you're not on your way to become a veterinarian, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And the guy just, you know. And I just saw that I go, you just saved his life. Yeah. You just saved his life. My point is, you know, some people need shock treatment. Like shock treatment works. Like sometimes like the nice, hey, Hey, buddy, I'm concerned for your feelings. You did great. What is that? What is that? Oh, you're going to hurt their feelings. I'm like, you need a a shock of reality, buddy. You're getting your ass kicked here. Let me help you. This is what you need. And you try to deliver them that that, 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 that truth pill, you know, and that people can't handle it. Well, what? That's what we got to change. You got to be able to handle reality, you know? And, and that's, that's, I think that's how we help them is sometimes just being truthful and honest with them. And sometimes it's going to hurt a little bit. That's okay. But that's a thing that we you're so removed from that though. It's like I would say, man, your your first six months of jujitsu training are going to be gratifying and downright painful sometimes. There's going to be times you walk in here in those first six months and things are going to click, and there's going to be more times that you walk in here that nothing clicks. You get beat up, 
but you got to get back on the horse, man. You got to come back in. It's the only way you're going to get better. And guys, some people don't want to hear that. And like you said, some people, they want you to tell them that like, you're going to be amazing. You're going to beat up all my guys that have been training for eight years because you <laughs> lift weights. No, dude. Like, listen, you're going to get your butt kicked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My favorite are the big dudes that come in that, you know, you can just tell like they came in and they've already sized everyone up in class. And I'm like, Hey man, uh, this ain't going to go the way you think it is. Not right now. Right. Once you understand, once you start to build some, you know, some jujitsu experience, some knowledge, you're going to be hard to deal with. But right now, yeah, bro, you're going to get beat up by dudes that you thought if you saw in a parking lot, you would just mop up with one pinky and that's going to be hard on your soul. And and, and, and and the reason why it's hard on their soul is because they've been sheltered from losing their whole life. <laughs> and that's the problem. And that's the problem. Losing is part of life. You're going to you have to learn how to lose. And it's okay. And it's not saying like, oh, the important thing is that you participate. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying the important thing is that you fight. And fighting is going to come with winning and losing. And you embrace both. And then you don't mind losing because you see what's here on the process. They're both part of the same track, winning and losing. Like they're the two sides of the same coin, man. It's, it's the same thing. You're making progress. You're fighting. That's what's important. But people are so uh, enthralled with that idea of winning as this grand place of satisfaction and success that they see losing as the most despicable thing in the world. And they're like, hey, my friend, listen, the only reason you're not losing is because you're not challenging yourself. And sure, there are the exceptional people, right? I think there's yeah. this, uh, this uh, uh, Mikhail Lopez. It's this Cuban guy. He just won his fourth Olympic gold medal in Greco-Roman. Four. That's 16 years being no the number one guy in the world. My God. I, I know people that make it for like they – may, they maybe make it to the world championship and place third, and they're absolutely incredible. This guy's been the number one world for 16 years. There are exceptional individuals, right? you got to get your yeah. Michael Jordans. But for the most part, man, like we're not – I'm not. I'm not exceptional. I'm not close to exceptional. I'm like – I fucking it was like it was like grinding, man. Like you know, destroying like every single ounce of your energy to barely make. So it's just, and and that's what you have to appreciate. I think that people that have that sort of you know like talent is like they're like you got more to lose than the people have none because they have more less to gain. I mean, right? Yeah. It's like being born rich. How do you learn anything about business when you're born rich? I mean, do you really? Do you really? Do you really learn? Do you really grind for every dollar, or your grandfather hand you everything? Nope, but you but hey, you're gonna read a book that will tell you about it, so you can tell people about that book. Yeah, it's right. it, 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 I I don't know, like I I appreciate the 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 iron price, right? Yeah, you know, it's the iron price that I think that and that's where the true. I always say this to my students: the hard work is the reward, and I think people yeah. miss out on that. Like that's the the most gratifying thing is working hard towards something. So as you're talking about like that, like you know, obviously that's my other question I had for you was competition um when you got a, a guy or a female that are a kid first competition like what are you telling them you know i've actually heard coaches and i'm just going to throw this out there before you get to i've heard coaches determined like you have to win today I'm like oh okay again that's just not my train of thought and again i always go with like he's not wrong that's just not the way i teach you know as i've gotten older i've learned to, to go like well that's not wrong i guess yeah. that's just not the way i choose to teach yeah like how do you how do you approach that individual? Because I do feel like most people, when they go into competition, they put so much pressure on themselves 
about winning or losing well, and what i find is they don't they don't compete well it's 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 an interesting question because again people are different you know there's that yeah. you have to know your student if you're talking about your average student you're right if you push them too hard they're going to break and they're going to break forever and you're not going to get them back but when you have your exceptional ones the ones that are like I, I you have to know your student and then that one you can i i think that excellence comes from competition and pressure i believe that anxiety is a you need anxiety how can you do it without it you need that little voice in the back of your head telling you, you suck. And if the second that little voice starts telling you you're good, you're done. Because if you believe you're good, why would you train hard? You need the voice in your back of your head doubting everything you do. That's a good thing. That's what gets you going. But it's not for everyone because some people can't handle that. It's too painful. So they just like avoid it. You know, that jiu-jitsu, that's why some people stick around and some don't because jiu-jitsu is a reality check. You can't lie on the mats. It's a truthful place. Only truth yeah. survives on the mats. You know, but it's people will avoid it. They want to hear what they want to hear. And the, 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 for, for as far as like the people that want to be champions, I think they work better under pressure. You need a coach that tells them exactly like how it is, hard lessons and, and a degree of pressure. Remember like uh, this was like after like I had that shenanigans with Max where people were giving me shit for asking Max to keep fighting. Yeah. Right? And then it seems like this is how much the world has changed. Someone sent me a, a clip of a Teddy Atlas cornering Michael Moore for the heavyweight boxing world title in like 1989, 1990, whatever it was, right? And the way Teddy Atlas is talking to Michael Moore, <laughs> it's like, it's so good. You should watch it. It's just like I'm between rounds. Oh my God, in between rounds, he's calling him names. He's like, you fucking pussy, get off that stool and win that title. And there, like, if you did that today, your career would be over. But that was like, you know, it was a different time. So, you know, but I think the point is like Michael Moore could handle it because he's a champion and he ended up winning the heavyweight world title that day and he won it because he was pushed now imagine had Teddy Atlas told Teddy Atlas told him this like, you know what buddy you've done enough you're doing good you did such a good job is that the kind of is that the kind of thing that's going to bring his spirit back to life is that the kind of thing that if that you think Michael Moore is going to be thankful for a coach who's nice to them and is positive be positive like, get the fuck out of here man I know coaching don't tell me about positivity don't tell me about positivity <laughs> You're not going to get anywhere with that bullshit. Fucking no, lie and grace. You. No, you you need and, and it's and it's and again, it's not for everyone, right? It's not yeah. for everyone. Some people can't handle it. You give them glimpses of truth in, in your in your personal life. How many friends have you lost because you told them the truth? I lost friends all I lose friends all the time because I cannot like I I, 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 I don't know how else to help you. I don't know how else to help you. You want me to lie to you? You prefer if I lie because you can feel good about yourself. I can't do it. I like you too much. Yeah, here's a truth pill. But it's not for everyone. And this is why, like, some people will be champions and some people won't. It's because some people will run from reality their whole lives because it's too painful to confront. Well, I tell my students, I was like, hey, listen, honestly, I'd rather you lose your first MMA fight. I'd rather you lose your first jujitsu match. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get that look and I'm like, no, no, man, I want to see what kind of resolve you have. Yeah. It's easy to win. Yeah, you're Super right. Super easy, man. You're right. It's easy to win. Yeah. All right. I want to see what you do when you lose, man. What is your demeanor like? What, like, how do you change? Do you quit, All right? Or do you yeah. do you accept the challenge? Because then I can put my time and effort into you. I can't tell you how many times as a coach I've coached MMA fighters that have gotten four and zero, five and zero, six and zero, seven and zero. And you're you're talking what two to three years at this point of personal time involved, and then their first loss, yeah. they're out. Like, yeah, they can't. They can't recover. They don't know how to lose. Yeah. yeah. You, you know. You know what my biggest regret in my career is? My biggest regret. What's everyone, that? Everyone thinks it's all oh, you failed the drug test at UFC. I'm like, nah, that's part <laughs> of my life. I'll take that. I'll take that like a cup of tea. That's nothing. 
My biggest regret, <laughs> my biggest regret is not getting my ass kicked in a fight. I retired undefeated. You know how much that means to me? Zero. That's how much retire yeah. undefeated means to me. Nothing. I wish I got my ass kicked. I wish someone knocked me the fuck out. I would have known what it was like. But I'm very confident I would have recovered. But I just wanted to be yeah. sure. You yeah. know? Uh, and then that's my biggest regret, like, is not losing. And and, and, yeah. and I value that because I know that's that's part of the journey. It's it's and I and I was it's so necessary. scared of losing. See the truth is I was so scared of losing. I didn't I didn't th- I didn't I didn't challenge myself enough because I was scared of losing. I was scared of the consequences of me losing. But I should have not been scared. Well, you hear this all the time, right? If you're if you look around the room and you're the toughest guy in the room, you need to go find another room. It's it's a true it's true. It's true. You have to challenge yourself. If you're not consistently challenging yourself, and that's why I tell guys, I that's why I want you to compete. It's not I don't want you to compete, man, because I want you to I want to be able to walk around and say how many medals are 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 Jim Wong. Dude. That is the furthest thing from my mind. Like I could give two craps. Yeah, man. If we get on the metal podium as a team, I'm excited. But I'm more, I'm more enthralled in your personal growth. Oh yeah. I want you to go out and challenge yourself. And here's the deal: I don't care if you win or lose. You know what I care about? Did you try? Did you do everything you could possibly do to put yourself in a position to win? Yes. Cool. If we can continue to do that, wins will come. But the second that you start thinking about winning and losing, you're going to shut down your game. Because yeah. if, you, if you're like, I got to win, you're not going to play to win. You're going to play not to lose. And if you go in and think you're going to get smashed, well, we all know what happens. Yeah. There's no one that's ever went in and been like, I'm going to get smashed. And it's, it's not gotten smashed. Like, well, it's because that the, 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 the strength you derive from, from knowing that you can outgrow yourself and outdo yourself and rise above. Like the strength you derive from that it's something you carry with you and it holds meaning for all eternity. Whereas your medal loses meaning every hour that goes by. Like I, I tell you, like I don't even know where most of my medals are. I don't freaking care. Like, Oh, you're going to frame and put them on the wall. Like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to remind myself of that. It's in the past. It doesn't mean anything. I'm looking forward, you know, and, I, and I'm not, sh- I'm not shitting on people who do otherwise. It's just me. Like it's, it's a, yeah. how I deal with reality is not looking backwards, looking forward. You know, but and, and, and people like they I think they fail to see the amount that the what you derive from all this. And that's that's something no one can take from you. That's the self-esteem I'm talking about. I can do it. You know, whereas if you're winning all the time, like you said, you can't you don't you don't get that. that, that Teddy Atlas, he was at the Joe I love Teddy Atlas. He goes he goes to the Rogan podcast. And I, I, I don't watch I don't listen to podcasts, but like that one a friend of mine sent to me, I had to listen to from beginning to end. And he goes, he was Mike Tyson's coach for a while. He goes, Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson's 0-4. And, and Rogan is like, what do you mean? That's Mike Tyson. No, he's 0-4. And, and then did he out and then Rogan goes like, what do you mean? He goes, every time his talent wasn't enough to win him the fight, he broke. And I'm like, oh. holy shit, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? How many people you know that win because they're so gifted? The second you remove that talent from them, there's nothing left. And that's Teddy Atlas. That's Mike Tyson's coach saying that. Mike Tyson is 0-4. Every time That's he was tested, every time he was tested, his like that super powerful left hook of his was not enough. He lost. So what he's saying is a true this is what he's saying. The true champion is not the one who's got a good record of belt and money and titles and all that. A true champion is the one that when all his tools are extinguished and he relies on his will and nothing else, he's still able to win and fight. Or not even win, but like fight. You know, that's what that's what he's saying. It's exactly what we're talking about. 
And it's like, that's such a deep thing. And I, I think very few coaches and very few athletes get that. I think it's, it just flies over their head. And maybe like one day later reflection that they'll look back and they go, oh, now I get it, right? That's, for me, that's how it was. I had to retire for me to see it this way. But it's in hindsight, you know, you get a better, a better perspective of, of the past and, and events. Um, I love that. I know. It's, I mean, watch it. It's Teddy Atlas on the road. You I'll have to. to. Yeah, oh, you have sure. to. So okay. Yeah. Um, that's. I got a long Christmas break, so I'm gonna be listening to a lot. Um, I, I go back here, and, and you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. How to win at the highest level right now? You know, we're talking about adult worlds. The dedication and commitment that is required, right? to be there and not just to be there, but to win it on a consistent basis. I always say this, man, no matter what in life it's, I won't say it's easy to win one thing, but man, you can train hard to win something one time. The hard part is continuing to train at that level to be, become multiple, multiple, multiple time world champion. Obviously we're seeing a lot of that happen. You have like someone like Bushesha that's up there and I'm just throwing his name out cause it's so relevant, but you, you know, you've got other guys out there that are grinding at that high level. Um, you know, and, and I go back with this, you know, I've had this conversation with Alex. When you talk to a guy that's on that caliber, that world-class caliber, just ask him what his training regimen is. Uh, it's scary. Yeah. It's, I, I, and it's consistent. It's changed. And it's yes. not for a month or two. It's for 10 years straight. That's the scary thing. It doesn't, no, I know it's, it's doesn't, you know, it's funny. You don't even think about it. Well, go, that's why, yeah. you know, you tell, you know, you hear guys go, man, I want to be a world champion in jujitsu. And then like, there are some that I can have that conversation with like, Hey, yo, bro, yeah, yeah, yeah. you, yeah, you don't have the work ethic to be there, yeah. you know, but that's because we have a friendship. So they can take that from me. But then there's other dudes that, you know, I have to find other ways. Like, Hey, listen, um, Jonathan Alves just beat Sam. Sam destroys most people in our gym. And when they came off the mat, you know, Jonathan told, uh, uh, Sam, I've, drilled that guard pass 400 times a day for the last couple of months yeah. and you know and what did sam do sam came back it's like that's the difference that's the between the difference between work caliber and me yeah. right it wasn't like he sam's a good dude man and he just you know he's like hey there's levels to this that's yeah. a different level man that's yeah. a different level of commitment now, i'm not saying i couldn't do it but i don't know if i have the ability to commit to 400 reps and then he's like yeah he's like i have weight training i have conditioning you know, I have drilling and then I have life classes and this is every day. You know, uh, uh, that reminds me of like my, one of my favorite stories is that I think is a, was it Paulo or Jomia, Jomia, one of them doesn't have a tooth and they broke the tooth in practice. You ever hear that story? I have heard this story, but yeah. Let's, yeah let's so, so, so he basically rolling and someone kicks him in the teeth or he loses the tooth. He's like, ah, sets it aside and keeps training like nothing happened. Right. So then that's normal. I probably would do the same. You would do the same. Who cares? It's the yeah. tooth, right. And then, like, two days later, he's still walking around without a tooth. There's a dentist on the mats with him. He goes, hey, man, if you come over to my, my office, like, I'll take care of you. I'll hook you up. I'll, I'll fix that tooth for you for free. Oh, really? You're like, yeah, yeah, just come over, man. And then he goes, well, how many days do I have to take off if I'm good? He's like, ah, about two to three days. He's like, ah, no, thank you. Still walking around without a tooth. That was, like, over 10 years ago. And you cannot, like, I'm not making this up. Like, when, we, when I was commentating for ACB with Braulio, uh, I can't remember if it was Paul or Jean, but Joe, you know, but they, they broke they broke his foot in the first match. Went on to win like three other matches after that with a broken foot. With a limping on the mat, still winning. Okay. Wins the title. 
Okay. And then he was in the locker room icing his foot. I just like I elbowed Brawley, like, I'm gonna fuck with this kid. Let's see what let's see what happens. And I go, Hey man, so me and Brawley tomorrow are gonna train seven AM. Are you down? And then he looks at me, he looks at me, he's dead serious. He goes, Yeah, yeah, where are you guys gonna train? He just won a title, he has a broken foot, and I'm messing with him about training with him in like four to five hours. And like he's just like, Yeah, where are we meeting? And he's dead serious. He would have he would have trained with me at seven AM if I had found a place to train. And that's why he's great. It's it's a price that very few people are willing to pay. Like, and it's almost terrifying. Like, man, the 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 the, the and it's not something he's aware of. Like, it's a conversation I can have. We can have because we're retired. You know, it's when you're in it. When you're in it, it's not even a question. You just okay. Like, it's not. It's like breathing. It's like waking up every morning. You don't question it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even the thought process of the degree of his will. It's not something he's aware of. He's completely unaware of it. Well, I will tell you this. I've seen guys and on a local level leave gyms to go to another gym. Why? Well, that gym's going to get me where I need to go to. I want to be a world champion. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you haven't done anything. Like, you, you come to one or two classes a week, three times a week maybe. How's that gym going to make you a world champion? You have to make yourself a world champion. So if you go in and you, like, again, we talk about anyone that comes to says I want to be a world champion. Do you want to train three to five times a day? Like what? Well, yeah, I'm not saying you have to train jujitsu, but you better have strength and conditioning in there. Yeah. Three, you know, three to five times a week. You, you know, you, you better have drilling sessions. You better have light sparring sessions. You better have hard sparring sessions. And it's like, what do you mean hard sparring sessions? Like, you know, tournament mindset and then regular, well, what's a regular sparring session flow. I'm working aspects of my game, but those guys are training that every day. Yeah. So if you do that on a consistent basis and then you're not seeing results of getting on the metal podium, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe three or four times, maybe you can look back and say, all right, maybe I don't have the right coaching around me. Maybe I don't have the right individuals around me, but too often guys are go, Oh, well that guy's got tons of guys going at a high level. I need to go there. I'm like, well, what's your work ethic like? Cause guess what? You're not going to magically get better work ethic when you go to that new gym. Yeah. Like, where's your work ethic first? Get no, your work ethic together first. It's too, it goes back to the reality pill, right? The truth pill. It's yeah. too easy to blame other people for your problems. Yeah. Accountability, man. It's, it's, it's all, it's an old theme, but it's a, it's, it's the number one ingredient, man. Like you're going to blame the world. You're going to blame the, the, the referee for your loss. You're going to blame your coach. You're going to blame the slippery mats. You're going to blame the rules. Oh, I don't win. I do Jeff because I don't like the rules. Well, other people don't seem to have a problem winning. Are they yeah. different rules for you? Like, what's the issue? Also, oh, you're the problem. You're the combination. You can't win IBJF because you can't win. Don't blame yeah. the rules. Other people can figure it out. So can you. You just don't want to because it's convenient. You know, and that it's all about comfort. Shit comes down to that. It's people avoid. It's like comfort. You make me comfortable. I give me easy pleasures. I want to meddle, but I don't want to have to figure out all those those problematic rules. You know, and that's what's so. I mean, I'm so repulsed by it. Like, it's like it's not the jujitsu that I knew. I don't recognize it as much as I love. The how evolved the sport is, and I really mean that. I'm not one of those to glorify old school jujitsu yeah. and the other day. It's not what I'm saying here. It's like, man, you got soft, man. Like you, you know, it's all about like blaming other people. You lost, man. Shut up. Get back to yeah. the grind, man. Like put your head down and work harder. Stop. Here's the question every competitor needs to ask himself after a competition. Every time you lose, you ask yourself this question. Okay. Did you do everything in your power to win? And the answer is always no. 
So if you haven't done everything in your power to win, why are you complaining the referee? Why are you blaming the Brazilian referee? Why are you bl- – you can't control these things any more than you control yeah. the weather. Why are you worried about yeah. it? Right? It's just this complete lack of accountability. Then I have to hear this crying, this nonstop whining, man. It's like, dude, you're your own worst enemy. Like, I, you want to yeah. be a champion? You don't have I don't want to say that you don't have it. If you're blaming everyone else for your losses, dude, you don't have it. It's just as I've gotten as to a point where I walk away. Like, literally, as soon as they come off the mat, man, if all I hear is complaint after complaint after complaint, I've just gotten to a point in my coaching career where I'm like, I'm out. See you, man. Hey, when you want to yeah. talk about the things that you need to do to improve your jujitsu game, then let's talk. But right now, I don't got time to hear that. I got to go go to someone else. They don't want. I to. don't have time to baby. But it's you know, big, and then we've been sheltered, though. See, we've been protecting yeah. children from like being reprimanded. No, you can't say that. You can't like put kids in their place. You can't tell them to you know that have them lose and suffer and fail a grade or have a hard day at school. It's like protect them, protect them, protect. And you keep protecting them, and then they come across soft on the other end. They can't handle anything. And then you give them life, and then they get kicked in the teeth, and they break. Why? Yeah, because they have no immune system; they can't deal with it. <laughs> no, you're you're one hundred percent right. You know, I go with this uh, is like uh, when I when I take students to tournaments, I know who I'm taking, and, and I was this is what I tell them: What are your expectations for this tournament before we even leave? What's your expectations for this tournament? Yeah. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? I'm like, what's your expectations? I'm going to tell you what my expectations are here in a second. What are your expectations? Well, man, you know, it's kind of my first tournament in four or five, you know, years. You know, I just I just want to get back there and feel it again. Cool. That's what I was thinking too. So we have, you know, it's not like they're going in there to lose, but they're also not going in there with, if I don't win, I wasted my entire time. Because you get guys that go out there, man, and their first match they lose. It, it, and I'm not saying finances shouldn't play a role, but that should be a very minimal role, right? Like I've had guys lose and be like, I just wasted two thousand dollars on an entire yeah. trip. I'm like, whoa, did you competed for the wrong reason then? Right. So what are your expectations? Like you know, Alex at this at the adult worlds this year. First adult worlds is a black belt, overwhelming. I can't imagine it. I've never been there. When I start, you know, when jujitsu tournaments were relevant, I was already 30, right? So I just wasn't in that adult division as a black belt. I couldn't imagine how much is going through his head at that level, man. You're sharing the mats with legends, guys you watch grow, right? And I was like, hey, what's your expectations? It's like, hey, man, my first adult world, I want to have fun, man. I'm just going to go out there and just throw it out there and see where it goes, right? And that's what he did, you know? And we got out and he's like, all right, cool. I, I know what I need to do now. I know I know the things that I need to work yeah. on, you know? And that's and then I've got other guys that are like, hey, man, I've devoted all my time. You know, I'm, I'm ranked number three in the world right now. Like I want to be number one. All right, man, what, what's our game plan? So I think as coaches, you know, we break that apart. It's like, what are your expectations? Cause here are my expectations. As long as we both have them, then I, I think we all grow, but it's when, like you said, when you got a guy that comes off the mat and you know, the entire world revolved around him winning one match and he didn't do it. And now it's everyone else's fault that he didn't win except for his. At that point, I always tell guys, I got to shut you down, man. I'm out. Like, yeah. See ya. When you're ready to talk and be real, and, let's and, talk. And, and, and Ray, like you're preaching to the choir. Like, I'm so. This is such a common theme in my life. I used to try to help, and I realized the more you try to tell them, right, the more they they perceive you as being maybe weak or wrong, or that you're trying to convince them. Otherwise, it's proof that they're right and you're wrong because you feel guilty yeah. and you're actually trying to help them. 
So this is where shock treatment comes in. You got to be like Tyler Durden in that fight club. <laughs> you got to give them a dose of reality, a hard one. And if they break, they break. You know, and, and I think that's uh, I I'm leaning towards that because I think it's a better system. I think it's a whole, hey, buddy, let me explain to you. It's like they don't want they're not hearing you. They need yeah. a shot. They need it's like it's like cold turkey. That's what they need. It's like, you know, you got an Listen, alcoholic. I've been notorious for that, too. I've yeah, been notorious you, you for have to. Both. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get an alcoholic. You can't just ask him nicely to stop drinking. You got to send him to rehab. Yeah. Right? You're not going to have you're not going to be near alcohol for the next six months. That's it's hard treatment. That's. Sometimes I think these people are so addicted to this value. They, they need that harsh shock treatment. It's, I think it's the only thing that could save them, man, because it's it's a lot of complaining, man. It's a lot of com- – dude, like you tell your guys, people complain about their finances in the United States. Oh, my God. I'm like, you people have never seen poverty, have you? You have no idea what that looks like. I'm serious. Like I have people whining in this country about nonstop, and I'm like, I'm sorry, people. I, I, I've seen ghettos. You've never seen, If you've never left the United States, you've never seen a ghetto. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I've seen, I've seen children begging for food, and we're like, ah, poor me, poor me. But no, no, you actually grew up in the richest country in history, you know. So, I mean, I'm not saying your life is easy. No one's life is easy, but you know, it's easier than it is for most people. It has been for most people throughout history, that's for sure. You know, and there's a complete lack of appreciation and, and and accountability, and I, I, I think it's a huge cultural problem. Like when I see people, like I'm not saying COVID isn't real. I'm just saying it's. Like there are far more important things that are happening to the world that people don't seem to think they're problems. I'm like, I don't think that it's people realize how this cultural weakness is damaging yeah. to the world in, in the long term. Well, I think we're all in agreement. And like, I always go back with this, that the whole point of my podcast, man, is to call out certain things, you know, or to enlighten certain things. And I do go back with, you know, I've been, I can raise my hand and say, I've been guilty of being the kumbaya coach sometimes. Yeah. And then realizing, shit, I shouldn't have done that. I should have been hard. And then sometimes I've been that coach that was too hard and broke them down. Like coaching is not black and white, man. You just it's psychology. figure it out. It's yeah. like you're a psychologist. You're a psychologist without the training. You, you, you become a psychologist <laughs> through trial and error. That's what yeah. a coach is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think you're spot on, though, that we've, we've built a semi-culture that is sometimes entitled and then isn't used to having those hard conversations, you know, of like, hey, if you want to win, you're not doing everything you need to win. Like, if you want to win, you got to do this. If you want to get better, you got to do this. But we've we've gone to a point where we're so afraid to say that because we're afraid to offend them that we're not doing the right thing. At the end of the day, we're just not doing the right thing for for those individuals. No, the right thing to do is to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. <laughs> That's True. what that's what good is. That's what a good coach does. You want to pat on the back, go on Facebook. You get plenty of likes and you feel better. But I'm not Facebook and I'm not your drug dealer either. I'm not going to make you feel good. I'm here to teach you. You want a hard lesson? I can help you. You want to improve? I can help you. You want to feel good about yourself? Go on Instagram. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, that is so true. Well, dude, I, you know, I hate to cut this off, man. Uh, I've had like this has been amazing. Um, obviously. You are my professor. You are my coach, man. I, I want to have you on more because uh, we have so much we can talk about. Um, and I know you got a lot of things you got going on. It's holiday season. Uh, any shout outs you want to give, Rob, before we roll out? <laughs> and a shout out to everyone who enjoys their life for what it is, you know, and, and appreciates the good and the bad and appreciates winning as much as losing. 
and is always looking forward to the next challenge. And shout out to those who haven't found that meaningful thing to fight for. I hope you do because it's the greatest treasure you can have in life. That's awesome, brother. Well, again, thanks a lot, man, for taking some time out of your day, dude. And I will talk to you later. All right, boss. See you next time. All right. See you, man. Bye.